What's up gamers and welcome to Lost at Sea Gaming. I am Hulking Yoda, the captain of this ship, the SS Gamer. And you have just stepped inside my captain's quarters, my weekly gaming update show where I talk about my favorite gaming news topic of the past week, discuss what games I've been playing, give tips on some of those games, as well as issue a weekly relevant gaming-related decree. This week, as part of the kickoff to my Terror on the Sea season, in the month of October, all things horror-related, I kick it off with an in-depth, hype discussion on Alan Wake 2. Gamers, to kick off this episode, I'm going to start with a little bit of history between myself and the Alan Wake franchise. So, the original Alan Wake game came out way back in May of 2010, which seems insane when I really sit there and think about how long ago that actually was. I mean, we're here now in October of 2023. So, 13 and a half years ago, just about, is when that last game released. And just thinking about my time in gaming during that year and at that specific release date, man, there was just a lot that has changed since then. But when it comes to Alan Wake, I was massively excited for this game from its original announcement. I mean, honestly, it's coming from Remedy, which first off was a big draw for me because at that point, honestly, we had had the Max Payne games, you know, Max Payne 1 and 2. I was massive fans of those and I was really looking forward to what the team had to offer next. And what we got was the announcement of a psychological thriller in Alan Wake. And as you guys know, if you've listened to my show, you know I am a glutton for survival horror, psychological thrillers, all that stuff, all those subgenres of horror. I am absolutely there. And the fact that Alan Wake himself, if you didn't know, was a novelist, a writer of horror novels. And that was awesome to me as well because when I was younger, I was an aspiring author. Before video games, books, and reading, that was my true obsession. And it just kind of anything to do with an author or writing or books, I mean, it just draws me in as well. So there was a lot of cool things here about this game that drew my attention. The fact that some of the places of, that you go to are called like Crater Lake, for instance. Bright Falls was the name of the town that he was going to vacation in with his wife and things like that. It was just all these different things, little, little things like that. For whatever reason, they just trigger endorphins in my brain to appreciate and to like what I'm hearing. So when you call a town Bright Falls or when you call a lake Crater Lake and there's just this context behind it that you don't know what it is yet but you want to know, oh man, it just really gets me going. So the basic premise, if you didn't know, of that original game was Alan Wake goes to Bright Falls to kind of finish writing his novel and uh, almost relax and take kind of a vacation away from the stress of, of writing and things like that. Well, next thing you know, his wife goes missing. He wakes up one day and she's not there. So that leads him to go into the town of Bright Falls. And that leads him on a journey that he will definitely not soon forget. I don't want to go into too many details. I get it. I just said the game's been out for 13 and a half years. But at the same time, if you're wanting to play the HD remaster that came out more recently, before you jump into Alan Wake 2 to get that full story, I don't want to ruin anything for you that you might find. If you want to ruin it for yourself or get that Cliff Notes version, check out a YouTube video. I'm sure they got plenty of them out there that you can check out. I'll give you those fine tooth comb details. But I just absolutely loved a lot of things about Alan Wake. You know, going into it, just like I said with Max Payne and Remedy having done those games on the PS2 and Xbox era, I was really looking forward to what Remedy was going to bring that was unique next to gaming. So with Max Payne, if you didn't know, Bullet Time was really what they brought to the table that had not been done at that point. Yes, The Matrix, obviously, is kind of credited with creating Bullet Time, if you will, or that slow-mo uh, effect. But as far as gaming is concerned, Max Payne was the first series to do that, and they did it really well. And at that time in gaming, in that era, in the early 2000s, man, that was just awesome stuff to see that gameplay and to see it actually play out in front of you. It was amazing at that point in time. So having the fact that Remedy is known for really 
great stories, great characterization, and bringing something new to the table. At that point in time, I couldn't wait to see what they were going to bring to Alan Wake. Well, I didn't have to wait too long because in early previews, they talked about the combat in Alan Wake. And sure, there's handguns and shotguns and things like that. But the big difference here, the uniqueness that Alan Wake was bringing to the table was the fact that you had to use light as a weapon. Because the enemies in this game, they're not just typical zombie or creature cannon fodder. They are essentially shadows that have overtaken different human bodies or shadows that have become, uh, I guess, if you will, solid and, and have kind of melded with the reality of our world. And the only way to defeat them is through light. So Alan Wake obviously is for the most part, always got a flashlight or a flare or some sort of lighting source at his disposal. And what you have to do is you essentially have to get rid of the shadow that protects these enemies by shining the light on them. And there's like a really quick meter that kind of drains uh, that you can kind of just see and tell. And there's a nice little pop when you drain the enemy of their full shadow. And then they're susceptible at that point to actual regular gunshots. And that's when you can take them out at that point. Obviously, the tougher enemy types, as the further you get into the game, the more it takes to drain them, the more it takes to shoot and take them down. You know, their shadows can recharge, things like that. Speaking of recharging, obviously, it's a battery-operated flashlight, so you're going to have to make sure to keep your battery inventory management in check so that you can constantly be able to refill your flashlights. Otherwise, you're going to be in some scenarios where you're going to have to run away and find you know a safe outlet to get away from these enemies. And that was the one thing that I loved about this game is just the uniqueness of it and the way that it felt. And there was something about the way Remedy designed it. The fact that you could drain this shadow off of these enemies and just that pop at the end of it. I don't know. It just felt good. I don't know how else to explain it other than to say that. And the game came out at a perfect time for me because I was able to play through it multiple times. I got all 1000G. I played it on the 360. It was exclusive to Xbox 360 at the time. And I got all 1000G. I loved it that much that I actually played through the game multiple times on Nightmare Mode, ultimately, to get that 1000G. And if you know me... I don't typically play games a second playthrough even. I don't, I, you know, usually I'm a one and done kind of guy, but this game just resonated with me this much. And I happen to have the time, the free time during that time period of my life to where I was able to put it in to Alan Wake and kind of get to a point where I ran through the game my final time. I think it only took me about four hours, uh, where it was about five times that length my first playthrough. But of course, I'm not stopping to explore and all that. And speaking of exploring, I mean, some of the environments that you go to, like the log cabins and the forest that you travel through, the dark place that is talked about a lot in this new trailer, and just different things you do there, uh, the monologue of Alan Wake. I mean, just the storyline and the way you pick up different pieces of uh, a book that was written, different manuscript papers that are lying throughout as collectibles. And the most, probably the most memorable moment for me in the entire game, as it is for a lot of gamers out there, there is a sequence where you're out in this farm kind of country area and there is a barn that uh, basically it was set up as there was a, 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 a show, a concert. And man... Between the electricity and everything that goes on and, the, and certain things that happen, let's just say that there is, I want to say they were called Gods of Asgard is the name of the band. And there was it was an in-game lore uh, band that existed within that world of the game. And they were very well known and very popular. Bottom line is their song comes on and it's an awesome song. And as the song is playing at this concert venue area, you have just this massive army of enemies that come out at you and you got to survive. And I don't know, it was just pretty epic. And I felt like Remedy, you know, mirrored that or tried to emulate that and control their more recent game that came out a few years ago now. And there was a sequence that had a really cool rock song that they had a really cool sequence tied to it as well. But in Alan Wake, I mean, that sequence just still to this day, 13 and a half years later, just really stands out to me as just being pretty epic and awesome. But in general, the game was just awesome. It hit on all cylinders for me. I thought it was a great game. Unfortunately, if you didn't know, it was the most emulated game and pirated game in that year of 2010. And I think it had over a million downloads. So unfortunately, its actual physical sales didn't get to the point where they wanted them to. And a lot of it, I mean, yeah, sure, it's a million people right there that would have bought the game. I'm sure that, that definitely wouldn't have hurt. Uh, it would have helped the cause of the series much, much more had they had those million <laughs> sales more. 
But I, I just remember the ending very, very clearly as if it were just just now, right before I went to recording. Uh, I'm experiencing the ending. And I just remember the phrase that Alan says. And he goes, it's not a lake. It's an ocean. And his eyes widen. And then that's the end of the game. And it's like, oh, man, what does that mean? And here I am 13 and a half years later, hopefully about to find out exactly what he meant. They did have a, a little side game they released called American Nightmare, Alan Wake's American Nightmare. It was pretty much the same kind of concept as the original game, but it was on a much lower scale and it wasn't it was there wasn't a whole lot of depth to it. It was a little bit more of the same, but it was a little bit more arcadian feel cuz this also released during the time of the Xbox Live Arcade is what they called it back in the day and not really just the Xbox Marketplace or the store. It was called Xbox Live Arcade, and if a game released on it, a lot of times back then it was it felt like an arcade game or had kind of an arcade style to it. So it was still a fun experience, something in the Alan Wake universe, but one thing I'm looking forward to in Alan Wake 2 is getting back to the TV series of uh, Night Springs. And Night Springs was kind of like that in-game version of Twilight Zone. And it was just kind of cool because you'd walk by TVs and you would see live actors. It was live action recorded and then it would play on the TVs in that sense. And you could watch these little mini episodes and it was just really, really cool. Another unique thing that Remedy brought to the table within the game. So I can't wait to see what they do with that in Alan Wake 2. And speaking of Alan Wake 2, since that's now kind of my history and a little brief synopsis of what you could expect from Alan Wake 1, let's get into the details of why I am hyped for Alan Wake 2. As we head back to the town of Bright Falls after all these years, man, I am so excited. And seeing what I've seen so far on Alan Wake 2, the closer we get to its release... I just I, I can't believe how excited I am for this and how amazing the game looks. And first off, let me just say that from what I've seen, I've, I've seen a few gameplay videos for it. And just graphically, I got to start there. This game looks absolutely phenomenal. I mean, it looks absolutely next gen. It's one of those games of honestly, I feel like they're getting more and more now recently. And that's good. And that makes sense. I mean, we're three years into this generation but because of the slow transition and COVID and things being backed up in development for a lot of games and developers, I think we're just now really starting to see what we probably should have seen normally in normal circumstances probably a couple years ago. So this game, though, just looks phenomenal between the lighting, which is crucial in an Alan Wake game because obviously light is your weapon in Alan Wake. And... Just the neon lights of some of the areas that you go through, the difference in contrast visually of the regular forested areas that you go through as the detective and the the dark place that you're going through as Alan Wake. I mean, this dark place is just kind of has like a blackish reddish hue uh, to it. And the, the colors and the neon signs and just the ambiance and feeling of this place that I've gotten as I'm watching these videos of people playing through and going through these the, the area, the dark place just looks terrifying is all. I'm just going to say it right now. It just looks absolutely terrifying. And I have a really good feeling that I'm going to be on the edge of my seat most of, if not the entire time that I am playing this game. So as I'm watching this game being played and, and things that we've been told by remedy, they're obviously going for a straight survival horror vibe in this game, as opposed to more of like a psychological action thriller that their kind of their design choices were in that first game. And as I've stated, don't get me wrong, there's definitely some freaky moments uh, in the first Alan Wake, but this one is just embracing the horror aspect 100%. And I mean, man, just I'm telling you, if I can watch a trailer of somebody playing a game and be creeped out, you know you're, the developers are doing their job. So as we're going through and we're seeing just the ambiance and the, the different environments and the things, the way that these things are set up, the enemy interactions are completely different than what it looked like they were in the first Alan Wake. The first Alan Wake game, you had waves of enemies. You had a very action-oriented style of gunplay and gameplay, and it looks very very different, I would say, in this game. It, it's much more, I would say, akin to like a Resident Evil 4 or modern survival horror, I guess is the best way to put it. Not just Resident Evil 4 anymore because I feel like most games 
since that original Resident Evil 4, have kind of tried to transition to that style of survival horror, of over-the-shoulder third person, very like tight camera, uh, slower and more purposeful kind of combat. And that's what it looks like in Alan Wake 2. I mean, it looks like as if you took the Resident Evil 4 remake and just kind of swapped everything out with Alan Wake uh, character models and the enemy and environmental types. And that's not a discredit to Alan Wake 2. It's just saying that is the kind of experience that you can expect. If you played Resident Evil 4 Remake, then that is what we're we're looking at enjoying here in, in just a very short amount of time. So as you're watching the combat as I was and seeing just how uh, slow and methodical the enemy types were, but also aggressive. That was the big thing that stood out to me is the aggressiveness of the enemies. I mean, they're just coming at you. Uh, once you get close enough, I mean, they have weapons of their own in their hands, uh, different kind of scythe looking uh, weapons, as well as obviously just their, their hands and, and arms and whatnot. And it's just like in the first Alan Wake game, looks like you have to drain the light from them in order to have them susceptible to your attacks and I mean, the, the action looks good. It looks like the aiming and uh, the, the different movements while you're aiming are all very good. Obviously, no static, hey, let's aim and you can't move. Uh, obviously, we move well past that this day and age. But yeah, I mean, just in general, the combat looks very, very solid. And the environments that you explore going through that just look amazingly gorgeous. So when it comes to puzzles... That's the other big thing that I've noticed about Alan Wake 2 in the previews that are a big contrast to the original game. Don't get me wrong. There were some puzzles in that original game and things that you had to figure out and uh, different environmental puzzles and, and whatnot. But this game is truly embracing that aspect of survival horror in the sense that it has some really uh, what looks to be some, some mind-bending puzzles. They're not going to be just kind of gimme puzzles. You're going to have to scour the environment, look for clues in the environment. And from what I've read and seen, the game is not going to hold your hand in this sense. So you're going to have to put your detective hat on and really just kind of look at the details in the environment to figure out the clues to these different puzzles. And I mean, it looks like basic stuff in some instances, like finding a combination for a lock or a pin pad. But then there's other stuff that just looks really crazy uh, as far as deciphering different images and, and integrating that into how it, it you know, fits into a, a password or just a, a, a different puzzle, environmental puzzle in and of itself. There's some intricate looking stuff here. And again, the game's not going to hold your hand. So you got to make sure that you're very observant and that you're going through and, and making sure you're looking at everything. Now, I will say that uh, both Characters look like they're going to be fun to play as, and they're they're very different in what their objectives are. Uh, the detective that you play as, she's very much trying to figure out what's going on with this string of murders and whatnot in Bray Falls. And then you have Alan Wake, who's honestly just trying to get out of the dark place, trying to get back to our world, uh, our dimension, if you will, or uh, whatnot. So that looks very interesting from a story standpoint. And as you're exploring the environment, there's obviously different notes that are left around uh, that you can pick up and um, it, it'll kind of give you insight as to what's going on. Manuscript pages, if you played the first game, you know, those kind of return in this game as well. The one thing that I really, really like that I'm looking forward to is both characters have kind of like uh, a mission board, if you will, or a clue board for the detective. She has kind of like her base of operations in what looks to be almost a makeshift hotel room or whatnot. And she has, like you see in like the, the detective shows and different things, there's this big cork board and there's all these different pictures and newspaper clippings or whatnot. And they're all different clues that you as the player are able to kind of fit together to find what the solution is and, and piece together everything to kind of guide you on your path and understand and learn what's actually going on here in the game. Now, when you play as Alan Wake, though, it's actually like a, a plot synopsis. You know, Alan Wake's a writer, so it's all done with the theming of him being a writer. So it's actually really cool the way that they have his board in contrast to her board. Her board is straight up like cop, detective, and, and uh, kind of old school in that sense and the way you'd expect it to be. And then you got Alan Wake's board where it's all about the plot flow and different things, just the verbiage and, and the visuals of what you would expect from like a writer. So I thought that was actually really cool and unique. 
And so I look forward to doing that and, and deciphering the mystery on both ends. And obviously, based on the trailers we've already seen, you know, they're gonna these two characters will meet up at some point. So that'll be very interesting to see how that happens, how far into the game that happens, and what exactly happens after they do meet up and how everything kind of ties together. Now, I did see confirmation that as far as how you play and who you play, when you play <laughs> the different characters, uh, it's actually up to you as the player to decide when you want to play as who. So you have... Uh, at any given point in time, you can alternate between a character. So you can choose to play as Alan Wake, and then you complete a specific story progression uh, mission or, or whatnot with him. And then you can either go to the next one, or you can switch over to the detective, or you can stay and do multiple missions in a row as Alan Wake before switching over, or vice versa. So I, I do like that free-flowing uh, sense of control that Remedy has given, no pun intended there with the control, by the way, uh, but I do like that sense of control that Remedy has given the player where they're not forcing you to play as one character for a given amount of time or, you know, hey, the first half of the game is the detective and then you have to wait till the second half to play as Alan Wake or the, the, the negative Halo treatment where you play the bulk of the game as the detective and then you only play maybe two missions as Alan Wake. Like, no, it seems like, okay, cool. These two characters are evenly distributed. Potentially, I don't know. Preferably, I would prefer to play as Alan Wake more than a detective. No offense to her, but it's an Alan Wake game. And I like the character already of Alan Wake. I have that investment, that time investment of that first game and that story and whatnot. So I want to play as Alan Wake. I'm looking forward to playing as her and seeing what her story is like too. But I want the bulk of the time and the focus to be on Alan. So it, it is very... Uh, kind of relieving in a sense to know that Remedy is giving us that option of who you want to play as, how long you want to play as, and before going back to the other character. Now, I don't know for sure if it's, hey, there's three missions available for each character at this point, And when you finish the three, say if you focus on Alan Wake's three missions, you can't go any further with Alan until you then do the three missions with the detective. I don't know if that's how it's set up or not, or if you can just you know play through Alan's whole story before switching. I doubt they would have it that way because just the way they seem to integrate and, and meet at a certain point, I would find it kind of odd if they let you just play through Alan's whole story, unless his whole story ends with him getting back to our side and meeting up with her. So only time will tell. But the fact that we are this close to the game and that I am super uber excited for it, the closer we've gotten to it, the more excited I've gotten for this game. And I cannot wait to lose myself to it. Just seeing the way you explore, seeing the kind of combat that's there, seeing and hearing the kind of story that we're looking forward to. It's everything that, at least it seems to be everything that I want from a great survival horror experience, which is probably my favorite genre in all of gaming. So I just cannot wait to get back into that world and to experience a Remedy Sam Lake written story because he's always got some just crazy good stuff. Uh, we've already seen two ties that where it ties back into control certain characters and just we already know it's part of that control universe, right? So I can't wait to see more of how they tie all of their games in somehow in this go around. And I, I love the live action sequences too. So hopefully we get more Night Springs episodes that we can stop and watch on the TV if we choose to do so, things like that. I just cannot wait to play this game. So that's what I got for you. That's the latest update and information I have on Alan Wake 2. So hopefully we'll all be able to enjoy it together here in just uh, probably a little over uh, two weeks now. So hopefully it'll be some good stuff when it comes out. But that's all I got for you this week. Now let's go open up my captain's log and see what games I've been playing. Gamers, if you're a fan of this show, you'll know that I am a massive fan of the Assassin's Creed franchise. It has been touted as, for quite a few years now, my favorite gaming franchise. So, it should be no surprise that with a brand new entry in the series, I am pretty excited for it. Assassin's Creed Mirage, I'll be honest, when it was first announced, I really was kind of disappointed because, you know, as much as I like Basim and Valhalla as the character that he was in that game, and, and I did end up liking him more by the end of the game than I did when he initially was introduced into the game. But in general, I was just like, oh, I don't know. I mean, it could be an interesting concept, you know, a young Basim, seeing how he joined the Brotherhood and, and his years before he kind of uh, discovered who he was. I'll put it that way, just in case you, you listeners out there, if anybody has not played to a certain point in Valhalla, 
I'll just leave it at that. But when it comes to Mirage, I was ultimately not as excited when they first announced that that was what they were doing. You know, a part of me, there was a few things, right? So it was Bassam. I was kind of eh as him being the main headlining assassin in the game. Uh, also, I was not too excited about the fact that it's supposedly this game started out as an expansion, another one to Valhalla. And Ubisoft was like, you know what, let's just kind of make it its own game and, and make it, you know, its own full experience. Not a, a full-on Odyssey, Valhalla, Origins, you know, mecha experience, but, you know, just something that's still a solid kind of back-to-basics Assassin's Creed-style game focused on one city, which is Baghdad and the surrounding areas of the desert and whatnot. And let's just really kind of focus on some specifics here and, and just the fine-tooth comb details. So I was kind of nervous a little bit because I didn't know what that was going to mean exactly for the length, the quality. I didn't know if they were just going to try to cash in on, hey, we don't have Assassin's Creed Red ready yet. So we are going to release this as its own game as if it were a brand new Assassin's Creed mainline entry instead of an expansion because we don't want to go that long without a, a mainline entry releasing. Because you think about it, gamers, it is now October of 2023. And it was November of 2020 when Valhalla released. So yes, we had two years full of content that was supported by Ubisoft over the course of that time. Multiple expansions and quests and all kinds of different uh, festivals they released for Valhalla. Just a massive amount of content. Honestly, for a single-player game, I don't know that I've ever seen that kind of a support from a developer and publisher ever. <laughs> and I, so I think it's a great thing. I thought it was awesome. But... You know, obviously, after a certain point, any fan, even as big as a lot of the fans were of Valhalla, myself included, after a while, I mean, you, you're ready to kind of move on to the next era, uh, especially if we're talking Assassin's Creed here, the next assassin, the next location, the next storyline. And uh, this was just not necessarily initially where I wanted to go. Long story short, as time went on and we started to see more details about Mirage and more trailers, we started to see gameplay trailers and I started to really get excited for it. Just seeing the world of Baghdad and the fact that Ubisoft had mentioned they were going for depth and density within Baghdad as, a, as opposed to this massive world with multiple continents. It was going to be this one isolated city, but just the density of possible exploration and things you could do within that city and the stuff going on within it, they're really going to focus on just making it come alive. So I'm here to share with you what my thoughts were on my first 10 hours with Assassin's Creed Mirage. And I'll just start with visually. So visually, the game is, I would say, right there on par with Valhalla. I haven't seen anything to make me believe or say that I think it's better visually than Valhalla. I think it's just as good as Valhalla. So that's not a bad thing, because Valhalla was an absolutely gorgeous game, so therefore, so was Mirage. Now, I will say there are different styles between the two games, because Valhalla was very much about the uh, English kind of rolling hills and kind of forests and swamps and things like that. This, and then also the contrast of Norway with the ice and snow and all that. Well, this is very much the opposite of those where it's desert, but it's still beautiful in its own way. Even though you have these massive distances covered by nothing but sand, it's still something beautiful to it. Just to see the kind of the hilly areas and then you get to these different oasises and there's different outposts here or there. I mean, there's, there's different things to make it more than just sand. And just, I mean, honestly, looking at the textures and the things that Ubisoft has done within the engine to make it look as good as it does, you know, I really appreciate that. And then sandstorms, sand just in general, whipping around in the wind as you're exploring and going through. It's very much uh, an engaging environment to explore as you're going through. And I didn't spend a massive amount of time in that desert because the way the game starts out, you do start out with a young Bassam, obviously, and, and the storyline is pretty much seeing him before he joins the Assassins, as he joins the Assassins, and then just kind of his first uh, foray into that way of life. I don't know how it ends, obviously. You know, the 10 hours that I've played have only taken me so far into that main story, and even though it's a shorter game and a shorter story, I still don't feel like I'm anywhere near a, a good chunk into it, because... 
where I'm at, I still feel like I'm pretty much in the initiate stages of the the brotherhood. So what I've seen so far, though, visually, everything is great as far as the desert is concerned. Now, when we get into Baghdad, oh, man, that's where the details really start to pop. And I had seen online that there was a lot of references and comparisons, you know, Ubisoft even used themselves saying that this was very comparable to Paris and Unity and the way that city was laid out. I could definitely see it because even though it's not the only game to utilize this feature, Paris was the first that I'm aware of in the series that allowed you to, if there were open windows, you could just kind of free run through the window. He just, Arno would kind of jump over the windowsill and sprint through the house and jump out the other windowsill. Well, those kinds of options are in place here in Baghdad. And just like in Unity, I mean, the detail, Ubisoft is always so good about this in all the Assassin's Creed games, to be honest with you, but the detail, that density they were talking about, oh man, it is there. I mean, shopkeepers opening up in the morning. If you're really paying attention and you notice that it's kind of, you know, sunrise or just after sunrise and you're walking through a market and you can see a vendor rolling out his carpets for his shop to open up his shop as soon as daybreak happens. And you can just go through and the different uh, food vendors and things like that. I mean, that's awesome seeing that. You have people just randomly sweeping and then shaking out all the the sand and dust that's inside the brooms that they have and all all kinds of stuff going on i mean it's just an awesome awesome environment to just walk through and experience it try to experience at least everything and there's just beautiful structures as well it's not just the the busy markets or random uh, areas to explore just there is also these beautiful mosques and temples and all kinds of different things that are in place. I mean, it's just an absolutely gorgeous uh, visual treat, both desert and Baghdad as a city. And I mean, honestly, the, the biggest thing I would take away from my time with Valhalla is probably when it comes to the controls. You know, parkour is, I feel like, pretty, pretty solid, but in a good way. It's not too stiff. I don't feel like it's too loose either. There was a lot of times in Valhalla uh, that it was frustrating where Eivor seemed to get stuck on certain parkouring points. That doesn't seem to happen for me as much as uh, it, with uh, Bassam as it did for Eivor, so that's a plus. The thing I didn't like that they changed in this game is old school Assassin's Creed games had you actually kind of look for and follow a climbing pattern, whereas more recent games... You could just jump to a surface and climb anywhere all over the surface, anywhere in the game. So it made it easier when you're exploring and trying to climb and scale cliff sides and buildings and towers and things like that. Well, it, it's not so much anymore. I mean, it's not hard. Don't get me wrong. But it just it slows things down just a little bit more than I would care to. It is kind of fun looking for a certain path and trying to figure it out. But at the same time, it's like, ah, oh, man, after so many games and so many hours in those games of just being able to jump up and climb anywhere and scale anything from anywhere in any direction, it's, it's kind of jarring for me knowing that I'm in an Assassin's Creed game and I'm kind of having to revert back to that old style. But it's not game-breaking. It was just a little disappointing for me and a little irritating at first. It's not as bad anymore. I've kind of grown used to it. But outside of that, I would say the combat is the other piece that has me intrigued and the control aspects of it as well. And the previous games, I feel like RB on Xbox was your light attack and LT or RT, I'm sorry, the right trigger was the strong attack. Well, in this game, RB is still your attack. It's for light and heavy attacks. So you just kind of tap the button for a light attack and you press and hold it down to charge up a strong attack. So that's okay. It's all well and good, I guess, but it just, I don't know, something about it feels weird, to be honest with you. I, I haven't fully grown accustomed to it yet. And there is a parry system in place. So you do press LB to parry an incoming attack, and you can tell that there is a parryable attack. When the enemy kind of glows gold, there are unblockable or unparryable attacks that the enemy will highlight in red, if that is the case. And then at that point, they have a dodge, obviously, where you can roll out the way with the X button. So that kind of made sense. Doesn't really bother me too much with the button placement of it. But in general, in implementation and actual combat, I feel like the timing of the parry, you almost have to be almost too precise with it. And in general, the unblockable attacks, I just haven't gotten that flow of combat in this game yet. I felt like with Valhalla, pretty quickly, I was just tearing fools up. But in Mirage, I, it has taken a little bit more time for me to get accustomed to this combat style. So 
nothing again bad about it per se. I just haven't found my sweet spot with it yet. That's all. So it just takes a little bit of time more than likely at this point. But at the end of the day, combat, parkouring, exploration in the world, the visuals as you're doing that, all that is is good. It's top notch. It's uh, very much enjoyable. The story, as I stated, is about this young Bassam, and it's been very interesting so far to see him as a character as he is now in, in that setting and in that time period, because there's a lot of things that he doesn't know yet that obviously if you've played Valhalla, you know about him and knowing those things and playing as him now, it's just, oh man, it's very interesting knowing those kind of quote unquote secrets that the main character doesn't even know uh, about themselves. So it's been really cool to see also the way the hidden ones, because they are not yet the assassins, they're still referred to as the hidden ones in this time period. So the hidden ones are actually still a growing faction, but they're pretty, they have quite a few footprints throughout the city of Baghdad. There's multiple bureaus, which that in and of itself, I thought was actually really cool because from Valhalla, if you played that, there was a lot of abandoned assassin bureaus that you could explore. And those were some of my favorite parts of Valhalla is finding these abandoned bureaus and exploring them and just kind of seeing the secrets that they had waiting to be found. And so these bureaus are very active now, obviously, in, here in Baghdad at this time period. So it's kind of cool to see the way they operate, at least in this part of the world, because obviously we have the original Assassin's Creed and Assassin's Creed 2. We have different eras of Assassin's Creed where we've seen the assassins or the hidden ones operate in different ways during different times. So it's just kind of cool to see the way they operate here in this area within this culture and society and time period. So I've really liked that aspect, seeing kind of those insights into the, the Brotherhood and uh, Roshan. I mean, she is just an awesome character. I was kind of like, eh, based on trailers when they first debuted her. But then when we started to see more things closer to release, and then you had the actual DLC uh, freebie mission that you could do with Eivor meeting Roshan. Uh, and then also just what she's been as a character in this game. She's been pretty awesome. So I thoroughly enjoyed her as a character as well. And there's a lot of other supporting characters that have been pretty cool. And I, I actually have enjoyed interacting with them and working for them. The last thing I'll kind of talk about is the side activities in the game. There is quite a few new difference uh, things to do that you haven't really done before. There, especially, we'll talk about investigations first. So investigations are essentially things that you can go to a kind of a mission board and you can pick up uh, investigations of something specific. Say you'll start out and it's like, hey, this group of people, uh, this person is missing. So we need you to find out what happened to them. The first clue, we and you have to find clues. So it's like the first clue, the only thing we know is this person was last seen working at the docks. So you go to this last known location of the docks, and then you do things there to find out another clue, which leads you to another location, and you know, so on and so forth. And you do this you know, at least probably three or four times, depending on the size or length of the uh, investigation. And ultimately, it comes to a close, obviously, when you've found all the clues and found out what the answer is to the, the question that started this whole thing. Now, in addition to this, you also have faction quests or faction jobs that you can do for the different factions that are around, like scholars and, and different things like that. The scholars being my favorite because when you perform quests that are tied to them or jobs, they you can get a scholar token, which you can trade at cartographers as one option to give you different uh, locations of items on your map and things like that. There's all kinds of different tokens in the game. They, they all do different things. I mean, there's different tokens you can trade for that allow you to save on, you know, a, a, the dollar amount of a item you want to purchase, or you can trade it or give it to mercenaries to do a job for you or to help distract guards for you and so on and so forth. So they have that token system in place. They also have an interesting upgrade system. You have to go to a blacksmith. There's plenty of them, though, spread throughout Baghdad. So that wasn't a problem. But you do have to have the resource materials required in order to do the upgrade. The only thing I don't like is they added a requirement of 
having a schematic for that specific armor type or weapon type in order to do the upgrade. So it's not just enough anymore to have the amount of resources like it was in Valhalla or Odyssey or whatnot. You actually have to also have the schematic for the upgrade for that weapon, which I don't like because the only way you get those schematics, you can get them in multiple ways. You can get them for completing jobs or investigations or just quests in the story, or you can also uh, end up uh, just finding them randomly in different chests that are typically well protected in different you know prisons or well guarded areas of the city and or desert or just well hidden there are different treasure uh we'll call them grottos if you will that are kind of underground hidden areas that if you look hard enough i've already found one in the desert and that was a lot of fun so hopefully i'll get to find some more of those as i continue to explore but for the most part, I, I've really been going around doing some collectible hunting. There's a lot of different historical locations that you can stop off at. And I'm a glutton for history in a game, especially in this kind of a setting. I love learning what the history of the culture was during that time period and different artifacts. So you can have different historical locations that give you those uh, a synopsis of whatever it is, whether it's a, a specific type of uh, jewelry they wore and why they wore it or a location and what that location was known for back then. Just stuff like that. I, I love that because the history aspect has always been a big part of why I've loved the Assassin's Creed series over the years as well. So just a, a lot to love here about Mirage. I've really enjoyed my 10 hours with it. I don't know that I'll be beating the game as quickly and getting all 1000 G uh, in this game as quickly as some of the other uh, players have out there that have gotten the platinum trophy or you know all thousand g uh, in the time that they have within a 20 hour time period i, I feel like i'm going to be spending a decent amount more than 20 hours but not too crazy it definitely doesn't feel like it's going to be a 200 hour epic like these last couple of assassin's creeds have been so thoroughly enjoyed my time with assassin's creed mirage this past week and now let's go check out my thoughts on getting back to cyberpunk 2077 gamers this past week phantom liberty the expansion for cyberpunk 2077 released and honestly i really really wanted to jump into this expansion and play it it looks really awesome based on the trailer that we saw earlier in the year back i want to say probably around may june somewhere in that time frame there was something about that trailer that just really, really hooked me. From the visuals to Idris Elba, who I just like as an actor to begin with, his character, just the storyline, it sounded really awesome. And it made me regret that I had not yet finished Cyberpunk 2077. Now, if you followed the show for a long time, you would know that. But if you haven't been following my show, I got Cyberpunk when it first came out way back in December of 2020. Unfortunately... It released just a few short weeks after Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Now, when Cyberpunk first came out, I did kind of alternate between the two, but <sighs> Valhalla ended up taking me well over 200 hours to finish and do everything that I did with that. That does include expansions and different DLCs and things like that. So there is some extra stuff there outside of the base game. But when you're looking at that game and you're looking at Cyberpunk, and Cyberpunk, in my opinion, for the way I played at least, is probably very easily another 100-plus hour game, it, I had to make a choice at one point. And I could no longer alternate between the two because uh, just one of them, I had to focus on one and, and continue going. And that focus ended up being Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which in turn led to me being here almost three years later after the game's initial release of Cyberpunk 2077 and still not having beaten that main base game. So maybe it's naive of me to still have that dream and that desire and that belief that maybe someday it's going to happen. I really hope for it too, at least before Cyberpunk 2078, if that's what the sequel is going to be called. But regardless, I had dropped about 50 hours into Cyberpunk when I was last playing it. And if you've listened to my show for the last couple of years, I've gone back to it a few different times here or there when I've gotten different drives or extra motivations to do so and added a bit more time into it. When there was the first upgrade to the PS5 Series X version, I went back to it to check that out for a couple hours, but it was literally just a couple of hours. And then more recently, just this past summer, back in June, when that trailer I had referenced when that dropped and I got hyped for Phantom Liberty, I was like, man, I want to jump back into this game. I just, I, I just, something about seeing that trailer really made me want to jump back into Night City. And so I did that. 
And I got about 10 hours into it before Final Fantasy 16 came out. And then at that point, that was my life from then on. Now, here we are, the release of Phantom Liberty, and that got me hyped yet again, giving me that extra added drive to get back into this world and Night City. Because not just the release of Phantom Liberty, because let's be honest, I didn't purchase it, I haven't purchased it yet, and I won't purchase it until I finish the base game, which may mean that I never purchase it. But the bottom line is I don't see a point in purchasing it when I did read up and... Everything that I've seen has said, look, if you haven't beaten the base game, we would highly, highly, highly recommend not playing Phantom Liberty until you do so. You can, you can just to clarify, after a certain point in the main story of the base game, you can then have that option to go ahead and play Phantom Liberty without beating the rest of the main story in the base game. But I just don't want to do that. I feel like that just won't, as far as I've understood it, it won't hit as hard. So I would like to wait until I would hopefully someday beat that main story in the base game. Well, regardless, there is also a massive update to the game that came with the launch of Phantom Liberty. And I wanted to be a part of that. Just being back in that world and seeing what these final finishing touches that CD Projekt is doing for the, the game before they move on to really focusing on The Witcher 4, Cyberpunk 2078, The Witcher original games remake. I mean, there's just a lot going on for them right now. And I feel like they've earned you know, the fact that people want to go back to their game three years later. I feel like they've really kind of paid their dues, so to speak, for the issues. And, you know, let's be honest, the lies that happened at the launch or pre-launch of Cyberpunk 2077 back in 2020. But the time that I put into the game this past week, so I dropped another probably about 13, 14 hours into the game. And my last stint was about 10 hours into the game. So I have now crossed over the 70-hour mark. I'm, I'm roughly 72 hours into this game. Gamers, the entire 12 hours that I played this past week had nothing to do with that main story. So some of you may be like, bro, why you're sitting here talking about you're not going to play Phantom Liberty until you beat the main story. You haven't beaten it. You want to beat it. Why would you not just focus on that main story and maybe put the 15 to 20 hours that you may have had before Mirage releases this week? Yeah. Why would you not put that time into it to try to at least beat the main story? So that way, when you do go back to it, yeah, there's still some side stuff in the base game, but you can jump right into Phantom Liberty if you like. It's a very valid question. But to be honest with you, I didn't want to rush the game. As crazy as that may sound, I get it, it's three years later, how can you call that rushing? But this is just the way I want to play the game. I will say I have changed up a little bit of the style of how I play and approach this game. Because when I was first playing at those first 50 hours, gamers, I was adamant about not leaving a district until I got every single collectible. All the NCPD scans were done. The, the, if you played the game, you'll know what I'm talking about. They're like little side crimes that you can help stop in the moment. Uh, there's also gigs and side jobs that you can pick up in that area. Well, I had made sure before I left and went you know, perusing into the next district that I did everything in the district of Watson, the first district that you start out in in the game. And that was not the case this time. I was like, you know what? I don't care if I pass through five brand new districts that I've never visited before. I don't care. I'm not focused on trying to get every little thing in every district right now. I just kind of want to experience the different stories of Night City and of the Badlands in and around Night City. And if you listen to my last report on Cyberpunk 2077, my time with it in June, that was the bulk of what I did was spend a lot of time in the Badlands and just really kind of fell in love with that area as just as a location and being there and the story of the, the nomads. I did when I created my character at the very beginning, I chose the nomad storyline. So my character V is a nomad as far as their backstory is concerned. So there's a lot of relatable stuff you can have as far as dialogue with the different nomad clans that are spread throughout the desert. The biggest plus for me, though, is at the end of my last play session in June, I had finally met up with the character of Pan Am. And if you know anything about cyberpunk or if you've read or seen anything over the years, you know that Pan Am is a very much a fan favorite character. And let me tell you, for good reason. I did do a couple of quests with her back in June, but the bulk of her quest line, I completed that over the course of these 12 hours. Now, I did more than just her quest line in that 12 hours. Probably half of that would have been tied to quests related to her storyline, but I am very happy to say that I was able to see it through to completion. And just FYI, if you haven't played it or if you're interested, 
her storyline, when it ends, you don't get any more quests per se with her, but you still get communication with her via text and whatnot as things go on, as time goes on within the game world. So I did feel like that was actually really cool because you genuinely build a relationship with Pan Am. And, you know, she is straight, so she only will interact in a romantic way with male characters uh, as far as that's concerned. So if you have a female V, I am sorry, you can't get that aspect of Pan Am. But. Uh, at the end of the day, I am a male V, and I absolutely loved the uh, opportunity, I would say is the right word, to romanticize Pan Am because she was just an awesome character, and she had a lot to love about her, and just really seeing her story arc throughout the course of play and seeing a lot of different, I don't know, just escapades, if you will, if you want to call it that, that her and V went on and these different quest lines that we did. I mean, there was this train hijacking where we have to set up it was just really great. It reminded me of something out of like Grand Theft Auto or even Red Dead Redemption where you have to set up something on the tracks of this train uh, passing through and you have to essentially hijack the train or stop the train. There was just a lot of cool stuff going on there and leading up to that moment and the night before. And then just afterwards, there was a lot of different really cool intimate moments that you have with her and really getting to know her friends as well, her family, the clan, the Aldecaldos. And uh, they're just a great group of people, of nomads. And there's a couple of them that you can actually do side quests with just for them and, and specific to them. One was actually really funny. Uh, one of the characters actually ends up uh, dying in, in the different fighting that goes on on different quests that you have. And they really wanted to go out with a bang is what the one character who's asking for your assistance in doing that and helping to provide that bang for this character that has been deceased now. And that was actually just a really funny quest. And there was an awesome cameo from another game and another uh, a character, I'll say, from another game that was just actually really unexpected for me and just awesome. So that was a great quest line. You get a little apartment that you can have. It's kind of like a, a tent apartment, if you will, that if you finish up these quest lines, you have that home at any given time from then on out with the Nomads, uh, the Aldecado specifically. So I just absolutely loved my time with Pan Am and with the Aldecados and being out there in the Badlands and just kind of finessing that and, and putting that sign seal delivered, boom, the Badlands, at least as far as I can tell, are done. After that, I finally made my way back to Night City because I wanted to see the way that the pedestrians and the cops are supposed to be a little bit different and more aggressive and just in general, the, the visuals of it. I love being in that neon-soaked city. And gamers, I wasn't disappointed. I mean, just visually, it is arguably, honestly, one of the best games I have ever seen and played from a visual standpoint. It is just amazing to me, the amount of stuff that is going on on screen at all times. And this is all open world. There's no loading screens for me jumping on my motorcycle and driving from the Badlands, you know, uh, two miles to get to the entrance of Night City and entering Night City and going in and around its streets. There is absolutely no loading screens. And for the size of the world to be what it is and the amount of content that's within that world that's going on at all times is just amazing to me. I, I feel like it's an amazing technical feat and CD Projekt just has done an awesome job in developing that and I commend them greatly on it uh, but I've done a couple of other quests uh, Judy Alvarez is another great character in this game that I've been interacting with from the beginning and I had a quest line still open for her so I started doing her quests as they popped up to me and that was another very personal very just good quest line. I mean, that's the thing about this game is the stories for the quests are just so good, which don't surprise me because CD Projekt, obviously, you know, they did the Witcher games and those are amazing. And the quest lines, side quest and main are known for being just absolutely amazing. So it's just no different here with Cyberpunk and I cannot get enough of this game. I've just absolutely fallen in love with it again it got me to a point where i really was kind of like man i i really kind of wish that there was no releases coming out the rest of this year because i'd like to just stay focused on cyberpunk man play through the base game do it the way i want to do it play through phantom liberty and just really talking about earlier sign seal delivered putting a bow on top whatever do that for cyberpunk 2077 because cd projects already said this is the only expansion the game's getting because of all the mess because of all covid and all the different things that happened over the last few 
years. This this is it for Cyberpunk 2077. So to be able to finalize everything about this game would be awesome uh, before a potential sequel that they do have already in the works, they've said. So it would just be awesome if I could do that and then get back to some Starfield because, man, I, you guys listening to the show, you know I love some Starfield. So I would just I'd be able to lose myself with those two games for months. Unfortunately, there's a lot of games coming out still in the next uh, couple of months that I really want to play, some longer than others. Spider-Man. Uh, <laughs> and I get it. I know some people are saying you could 100% the game in 30 hours. I know for a fact I'm not going to do that. But regardless, Cyberpunk has been an amazing uh, time uh, this past week. And if you haven't played it yet, you're questionable on playing it. You're waiting for it to be at its perfect version. I would say there's no time like the present, and you will absolutely not be disappointed. I would be shocked otherwise. There's an amazing story, amazing characters, great gameplay, unique gameplay, and it's just a, a really good time. So thoroughly enjoyed my time with Cyberpunk this past week, and that is what I got for you. Now let's go find out, out of everything that I did, what my highlight of the week was. Gamers, after roughly 20 hours this past week in Cyberpunk 2077, I gotta say it was pretty easy for me to narrow down, in general, what my highlight was this past week. So really, it was, in a broad sense, the different quests that I did, the storylines that I partook of. I just thought they were absolutely amazing. There were obviously some quests, as I mentioned, that I did for Pan Am, and the different specifics of those storylines were awesome. I mentioned some of the ones that you did for some of the Aldecaldos. Those were great as well. But there were some other quests that I did that just really stood out to me that were just really well written, extremely engaging, and had me hooked, and still have me hooked, because the way Cyberpunk does a lot of their quests and storylines you don't get the whole story in one quest. You probably will have to end up doing two, three, four different separate titled quests to get the whole story of that quest line, if that makes sense. So for instance, two of the biggest ones that stand out to me, there is essentially a, a murder mystery. You are investigating the death of the mayor of Night City. And there is speculation that it was actually murder and not natural causes as to the reason he died. Well, you kind of partner with a detective from the NCPD, the Night City Police Department. And as you go through this investigation, you I love what Cyberpunk does with its brain dances where you can actually slowly go through the memories and whatnot and actually pinpoint different sounds or different uh, things that you can scan in the environment that'll give you clues to deciphering what actually happened. And you do that for this certain quest uh, involving, you know, investigating the death of the mayor. And then there was another one that you do with River that was even better, in my opinion. And it was just amazing. Uh, it, it involved a serial kidnapper slash killer who was based out of a farmhouse. And these disappearances of young teenage boys have been happening throughout Night City. And there was just a, a race against the clock for a certain reason to try to get to the farm and let me just say, it was just, it had me riveted the whole time. In addition to this, there's another whole separate storyline going on that was multiple quests so far involving a prominent couple in Night City. The husband of this couple is, in fact, running for mayor. So there's just a lot of really cool conspiracy theory type stuff going on in this storyline. And I just, I, I, my hat's off to CD Projekt because, my God, I, I can't think of a time... Uh, where I have just had so much enjoyment out of the, the, the quests and the storylines that I'm experiencing. I mean, just every single one is a banger. And it shouldn't surprise me because it is CD Projekt. And I mean, literally everything they did just about in The Witcher was just phenomenal. Witcher 3, it was the same kind of thing here is what I'm feeling. And, and kind of re-experiencing that kind of magic is like, man, they just, they are nailing every single story beat here. And I am loving it. So I just absolutely loved the different storylines that I got to experience this past week and was easily my highlight of the week. Now let's go open up a chest of buried treasure gaming tips I have for you in Cyberpunk 2077.
Gamers, this segment should be no surprise to those of you that have been listening to me for a while. Ever since I introduced this segment, this is the quest for a thousand G, where anytime I'm playing a game on Xbox and I want to lay claim and shout to the world that I am going for all thousand G, all the achievements in this game, this is where I go to do it. So I'm here to say that Assassin's Creed Mirage is my latest quest for a thousand G game. Looking at the achievement list, it doesn't look too crazy. It looks like pretty much you get all the collectibles, you do some side stuff, you play through the main story. You got a couple of specific assassination or combat requirements. But outside of that, I mean, it's a pretty straightforward list. I am just super stoked that there's no play it on hard or play multiplayer. I mean, there's no multiplayer in this game, but typical past Assassin's Creed games with the multiplayer aspect to it. They always got in my way of getting all 1,000G. But Quest for 1,000G, 100% guaranteed. I'm going for it in Assassin's Creed Mirage. So now it's time to get to those tips that I promised you in Cyberpunk 2077. Gamers, when it comes to Cyberpunk 2077, the game has been out for over three years. So there's probably not a whole lot that I could recommend to do to you listeners that you probably haven't already read or heard or found out for yourselves. But I will say just for what it's worth, in my experience, I got to tell you, when it comes to upgrading your abilities, I really, really would recommend utilizing those hacking abilities when it comes to enemy encounters. Now, some of you out there may just really love to go into a location and just go, you know, guns blazing everywhere, let's shoot and kill every enemy. And there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, I'm a little bit more of a methodical gamer when it comes to most games. So I like to be as stealthy and quiet as possible. And also kind of, at least for me anyways, it's kind of fun uh, taking people out without them having no idea what's going on. So what I'm recommending is essentially when it comes to your abilities, really invest in a lot of the different abilities like Contagion, which when you do have a group of enemies, you can hack one enemy and utilize the contagion ability and what it does is it drains their health but also any enemies that are right in the vicinity of that one enemy they contract the virus that you have implanted as well and they all start draining health now you can use this in conjunction with some other abilities that i highly recommend to purchase which are the short circuit which is one that basically will I would say most lower level enemies take out with one single usage, but once you get further into the game, the enemies obviously are a little bit more difficult, have a little bit more HP, so you might take a couple of those to take them out, or if you combine them with overheat and the short circuit ability, uh, it's, it's a good combo, I'll just put it to you that way. One other ability I thought was really actually fruitful for me that I didn't utilize in my initial playthroughs of this game that I have more recently been utilizing is the uh, overheating of the gun. Basically, it's a gun glitch, I think is what the name of the ability is, to where they can't use their, their guns on you. So if they're if somebody's shooting at you, and you, real quick, you just want them to stop, you just gun glitch, boom, their weapon jams, and then you can start doing what you'd like to them at that point. So just a few different abilities that I would recommend utilizing and really maximizing in combat encounters or in bigger areas where you're trying to take out a, a bunch of enemies. It can be a lot of fun, in my opinion. So that's what I got this week for my tips and suggestions. Now let's go find out what this week's Captain's Decree is. Gamers, this week for Captain's Decree, I just kind of want to ask a simple question, really. And that is, where does Assassin's Creed go from here? Now, obviously, I know where they're going next. We already know they're going to Japan feudal Japan for the next mainline Assassin's Creed game. And we've already had confirmation that that is a massive open world RPG in the same vein of Origins, Odyssey, and Valhalla. Now, as much as I loved all three of those games, I am very much enjoying Mirage. And I am loving the fact that I do not have hanging over my head 200 hours ahead of me. <laughs> I just have to be honest with you. I am very excited about the fact of getting back to kind of back to basics, like they've always been saying about Mirage, and a shorter, tighter experience. I just don't have the kind of time that I used to have 
to drop, you know, 200 hours into a lot, multiple games all throughout the course of a year. You know, if there's a 100-hour game here or there, sure, I can make time for it at the slower parts of the year. But Assassin's Creed games always come out in October, you know, maybe November if it's a later release that year. But it's always typically October when Assassin's Creed releases their newest game. And, for instance, if Assassin's Creed Red comes out next year, as it's currently known... Then I'm looking at the fall holiday season with a potentially 200-hour game in my lap. Now, I get it. I don't have to put 200 hours into it, but I know me. I'm not going to be able to control myself. I, I play a certain style, a certain way. And even the, the thing is here with Mirage, I can still play that way and feel like I'm still going to finish what I everything in the game the way that I want to play it and enjoy it in probably about 40 hours, which to me, 40, 50, 60 hours is fine. But when I start going above that, that's when it's like, okay, what is the timing? What other releases are around this? And that's where I start to say, you know what? Where does Assassin's Creed go from here? Like, I already know they're going to a massive open world RPG with Assassin's Creed Red. I get that. But man, Going forward, like, is, is Hexe. I, I hope that it really is the survival horror-esque, again, tighter experience that I'm hoping that it's going to be. We know that Assassin's Creed Jade is a mobile experience, but still an open world, you know, as massive as it can be on, on that kind of an, an experience. But I would expect it to be probably on the scale of maybe Mirage, but on a portable uh, format. But... Hopefully Red, I, I, may, I feel kind of weird saying this, but hopefully Red is going to be that last massive 200-hour Assassin's Creed game. And I really do hope that Ubisoft, because let's be honest, they're having some financial issues, some staffing issues, some harassment issues. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on at Ubisoft these past couple of years. And I feel like there's a lot of uh, finance and funding and resources tied up in all that. And do they really have the resources to be playing around with creating these gazillion hour games uh i don't know that's necessarily the most smart business decision for them right now so maybe they do need to get back to a tighter focused experience when it comes to assassin's creed and hopefully they will attract back a lot of players that maybe were scared away or or not necessarily scared but decided you know what i don't have time for this i can't do these kinds of investments that they're asking me to do anymore even though i love assassin's creed i just don't have that kind of time so maybe it'll draw people back in i get it there'll probably be some people that may get lost from the fandom they have for the open world massive rpg style but i think if you're a true assassin's creed fan you're still going to stick around you're still going to enjoy it you're still going to get a great experience out of a, a tight 40 50 hour assassin's creed as opposed to a massive 200 hour almost sometimes bloated feeling game because that's something that myself and the Graveyard Gamer, great friend of the show, check out him on the Graveyard Gamer podcast right here on Spotify and any other platform. Great show. If you like my show, if you like video games, you'll love his show. Check it out. But him and I have talked about it numerous times since Valhalla's release. Valhalla was seemingly, it felt bloated after a point. I mean, we loved a lot of the stuff that you do in Valhalla, but did it need to be that much you know what did there need to be that many stories or chapters in the main story of the game there was a few of them that we felt like they were whole sections that were five to ten hours in scope that could have been completely cut that didn't need to necessarily be there so there's different things like that that i feel like ubisoft should hopefully question and look at and evaluate and decide what they feel is the best course of the future of the assassin's creed franchise but in my opinion where does assassin's creed go from here Hopefully, tighter 40 to 50 hour experiences like what we fell in love with at the outset of the franchise. That'll do it for this week's episode. I hope you've enjoyed your time aboard the SS Gamer. You can join its crew by reaching out to me via email at lostatseagaming365 at gmail.com, as well as search for Hulking Yoda on the Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo Switch networks. You can also find me on social media on Instagram and Reels at Lost at Sea Gaming, as well as on X at Lost at Sea, G-A-M-I-N, the number one. Thank you for listening, and until the sea says otherwise, we'll keep sailing.